Hello and welcome to episode five of the Music Revere podcast. I'm your host, Zach Hamilton. My guest for this episode is Nick Thorburn. Nick is a Canadian musician originally from Campbell River. He has fronted numerous bands such as the Unicorns and more recently Islands. Nick is currently co-hosting a new podcast as well as finishing up work on his upcoming graphic novel. And with that, let's get into my talk with Nick. Well, welcome to the Music Revere podcast, Nick. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So on the show today, we're going to be discussing your early career as well as your work with the band Islands. That being said, I'd love to start by asking, can you remember how you were first introduced to music and did you come from a musical family? Let's start at the beginning. Um, <laughs> well, when I was first introduced to music, I would say it was, it was probably younger than I re- remember. Um, I wasn't, uh, I did not grow up in a musical household uh, and never took any formal training for music. Um, but I reacted, I remember at a, at a very young age, reacting deeply to songs that were either playing on the radio or cassettes in my parents' car. Um, the big one being Paul Simon's Graceland. I'm sure I'm, I'm not alone in that uh, demographic. Um, you know, there was lots of things like that, lots of records like that. That was kind of the introduction to um, to me, like having a relationship as a listener. Uh, I had an older sister, have an older sister, um, who turned me on to other things um, in my early adolescence, like The Cure and um, some of the kind of grunge stuff that was popping off around, um, you know, 92, 93. So, um, so that was kind of the entry point um, as I was getting more... Uh, uh, mature about music and and uh, the way I listened to it, you know, was thinking about it a little more deeply than just um, a pure emotional response as a as a child, um, which was pretty deep. I mean, as a kid, I was like I was reacting on a deep emotional level. I remember songs as a young kid moving me to tears, um, oh, and not wow. even knowing and not even knowing why. Um, obviously not knowing the content and like I and I also remember asking my dad why songs um so many songs were about love like I could I recognize I was probably like five or something and I remember just song after song that came on the radio there was a there was a a, some a component of of either unrequited love or or heartbreak or longing or 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 just a, a or just a um declaration of love so I remember finding that really funny and obviously a five-year-old would not have a very um deep level of of love outside of you know familial love but uh yeah 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 so I, I was like coming at it from a pretty emotional place at a young age but wasn't until I was 16 around that age that I started to like even acknowledge the idea that I could be um not just passive but active in, in music and met a couple of kids in, in, in high school um, who played, who were little punk rock kids. And um, so that was, that was like the beginning of me entertaining the idea of, of, uh, of being a musician, you know? Yeah. You know, you had mentioned that your uh, sister had introduced you to some different bands, like The Cure and stuff of that nature. What were yeah. your go-to bands listening to when you were younger? Um, when I was in high school... It was it was Jane's Addiction, it was okay. Skinny Puppy, 
Um, it was tricky. Uh, it was James, this British band, James. Um, it was Fugazi. It was, you know, it, it was, it was of that. I mean, that's kind of a, a wide berth, but, uh, yeah, it, it was, the, it was those kinds of, I liked the, the British stuff, like the stuff I was feeding off of my sister, I think was like stone roses. And then James, I, I kind of got from that. Um, and then, yeah. And then it was like a little more of the, uh, uh, uh the skinny puppy stuff was kind of feeding into my, like, uh, maybe hormonal side and then Jane's addiction was kind of all of the above I guess because it they kind of they kind of accessed all of that stuff so you're originally from Campbell River British Columbia how would you describe the city and what was it like growing up there culturally for a for a, a young kid who's interested in music um it was a little tricky there was there were there were punk shows that would happen nearby like five dollar these kind of five dollar all ages shows um, in the nearby towns we'd have to drive to. Um, Campbell River itself it was fairly lacking. Um, uh, it was not welcoming for someone who, you know, tried to dress a little differently or or color their hair or, or you know express yeah. themselves maybe as as like teenagers do. Um, it, I was bullied pretty hard, so I, I had a kind of a rough time in, in Campbell River. Uh, as beautiful as the place is, I mean, as far as um, as far as the nature goes, uh, it, it's unparalleled. But um, yeah, culturally, it was a little bit a little bit bland, um, and I was definitely I was definitely um, bullied extensively, I would say, in high school. So I don't think too fondly of those days, um, and I left as soon as it was um, possible. You know, an interesting side note in hearing the backstory here about how you really didn't probably enjoy your time in Campbell River all too much. It's interesting yeah. to me because I'm not sure if you know this, but you're currently listed as one of the notable residents on the Campbell River Wikipedia page, along with Barry Pepper, the actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I said, it's a small town. I don't know if I had too much competition, but uh, yeah, but that's cool. I'll take it, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you had mentioned that at 16, that was when you started to see yourself as being a musician. At what age did you really see music being your future, like an actual career? Probably when I was 21 and I was in, I knew I wanted it for a few years before that uh, with the unicorns. Um, but I think by 2002, it started to feel real. Um, okay. And, and yeah, I was about 21 and, and I was finishing film school in Montreal and uh, was was looking to put all my eggs in that basket, which is which which is helpful. Yeah. And kind of getting into some of your earlier music here, you had co-founded the band The Unicorns back in 2000 with friend and fellow musician Alden Penner. What made you two decide to create the band and what were your initial goals for this particular group? Well, I, I was an admirer of his. He was a few, he was one or two years beneath me in school. So we met in high school and um, I'd seen him perform um, kind of solo and mm -hmm. and we'd sort of bonded over um, 
music, Fugazi especially. And, um, and we just decided, I mean, I, I think I lied to him. He asked if I played music and I said, yes. <laughs> um, and then we made a plan to make some music together. And then I showed up at his house. He had a little basement um, jam space. And I didn't have any, I didn't have a guitar. I didn't have anything. I barely had an ability to, to, uh, to play, to sing. I couldn't, I couldn't play an instrument. Um, but I was just sort of, it was bluster, you know, I was kind of just faking it. Um, yeah. Well, he seemed to appreciate the, the, my gusto, I guess. Um, so he, he went along with it and we started a band, um, called poor Alexander, which I then quit. But, um, eventually we, we, we started playing music again. Um, when I would come home from, from summer, uh, to work and in the summer, I would come back to BC to Campbell river and we would, we started playing again and that band was the unicorns. And yeah, the initial reason was I wanted to kind of, Pitch my wagon to his star. I thought he was such a talented um, young songwriter, and his songs mm. were unlike anything I'd heard by any of my peers, to, without a doubt. Um, and I thought they were like on par with, you know, some great classic songs. So that that was that was the that was the impetus. But also, we you know we were young and we wanted to play, wanted to perform, and I think there was there was something so exciting. We'd seen we'd seen enough punk bands come through. Um, on Vancouver Island that we knew that we could, we could do it too. Yeah. Can you describe for the listeners the venues and audiences that you were performing for early on with the unicorns? Yeah. So we were really trying to subvert the, the, the norms, I guess, of the punk rock shows that were very serious and very like emotive. Um, and we were trying to, I was definitely trying to inject some humor and I think Alden was too, but we would do a lot of silly stuff. We would, we would get in sleeping bags and perform. We would do a song with, that was just one chord, um, for an entire set. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, we okay. Would, hold on. Let's take a step back here. Did you just say you would get in sleeping bags and then perform on stage? Yeah, we would. And we would, <laughs> I mean, we, we would do all kinds of stupid shit. We would make, um, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and, the half of the show would be us making the sandwiches, handing oh them out <laughs> to the audience and then performing. It, it, it was definitely like a little bit of performance. Also, we didn't have a, yeah. that much material. Maybe we had like a couple songs, so we had to pad the set, but we were really <laughs> trying to like, we, we did a puppet show at one thing. We were just trying to like, just do something a little different and, and definitely have fun with it. And like, you know, there was like inviting, I mean, there was some, some questionable shit too, or where I invited, <laughs> Alden didn't show up to a gig. And so I invited a guy off the street, two guys off the street to perform, gave them like 20 bucks each and just kind of like danced on stage and played like a drum machine. But they were like, you know, they were, they were, um, they were, they were homeless people. So it was, it was kind of insane. Um, kind of an insane thing to do, but, uh, you know, we were, I was like 21, 20. So it was, it was very much just like, it was very much exploring the, the the limits of what um what lot, what performance can be and what what um you know this this punk rock ethos that we like evolved from like what 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 um how how to subvert that basically. Well, and I love how 
risk-taking it is in the same sense, too, because, I mean, once you've decided to take half your set and literally spend that time making PB and J sandwiches and send them yeah. out or perform a set, you know, in sleeping bags, at that point, you're probably not scared of really anything because you've you, – to try anything at least. We felt pretty immune. I mean, I think when you're that young, it's the best time to – to explore those things and to not take yourself seriously because there is a bit, you get a bit of a pass as being young and, and being naive is, is really a weapon. It's really something everyone should use. It's, it's the old George Bernard Shaw cliche of the youth being wasted on the young. It's really like the yeah. time to, um, to explore like what, what maybe what you, sh- you shouldn't and couldn't do. Um, regularly, because I've definitely in the ensuing years, I don't feel as as as, um, as much like I can really bend the rules. You know, I feel like I. Yeah. But I'm glad I got it out of my system. So. So if I'm correct in my research, the Unicorns is also where you debuted your stage name, Nick Diamonds. What made you decide to create a stage name? And would you say you acted differently on stage as Nick Diamonds than you would in your private life as Nick Thorburn? I mean that was the idea was that it was a it was an alias it was a, it was a stage persona um mm-hmm. and maybe it would be like somewhat liberating um and a way to distance the kind of humdrum daily life um it was a way to in- inhabit i think the per- the performance a little deeper um and yeah and i i also just thought my last name Thorburn was a little it was a little stiff for um for rock for rock and roll um superstardom thought i needed something a little glam glamier you know and initially <laughs> it was initially it was neil diamond nicholas neil diamond so it was a, kind of a nod to neil young in a roundabout way who was, i was hugely inspired by but neil diamond of course and neil young was kind of playing on that um thing but there wasn't really like too deep of a you know etymology to it it was just it was just a way to like yeah embody some some something different i guess yeah definitely it's as if like you know you look at some of the uh popular djs now where they wear you know masks or these massive elaborate helmets you know it's a way of kind of just cutting loose and embodying a persona versus being yourself in a way it can actually lend to a a more interesting performance too so Hmm. at the risk of sounding like a old crusty old man I, i think it helps if you're just a dj and you don't you don't have a lot. You have to sequence, you know, trigger certain things, but it might <laughs> it might help to visually. If you're going to be looking at a laptop, you better look like a fucking mouse or something cool. Yeah, yeah, you got to look cool. Or a marshmallow. Yeah. I mean, although I feel like that's stretching sure. it a bit. A marshmallow, it's like, eh, I Very don't know. But, uh, um, now, before we get into your work with Islands, I'd love to ask you some uh, kind of quick fire, more random questions if you're up for it. Mm-hmm. So who are the three songwriters or musicians that have influenced you most with your own work? You had touched on Neil Young being, uh, you know, somewhat inspirational. Were there any other artists? I would say Neil Young was definitely up there. Um, Brian Eno has, has been a huge um, inspiration to me. Uh, his approach to making music from the outside, kind of looking in um, without, you know, formal training and, and his, his um, approach to songwriting and... Uh, and songs and singing, um, I think it's highly uh, inspirational. And um, the Velvet Underground were huge at that at that point when I was trying to get into it myself. Um, yeah. You know, there was a lot of there was a lot of. I, it's hard to whittle it down to three. I mean, 
Paul Simon was obviously huge, a huge influence um, from from the jump, from being, you know, five years old and listening to to his music um, and emo- having it emotionally resonate on such a deep level. But uh, I think, yeah, I think there was a lot of that. There was a lot of those those guys, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, if you had to choose, what would be your favorite type of venue to perform at? Mm, one that's filled with people that are excited to see me perform, probably. Outside of that, I, I could really give a shit. I mean, it's got to sound good. Ideally, it would be nice if people could have good sight lines and can see um, the performers, myself and the others on stage. Um, it would be it would be good if it all, yeah, like it also sounded good so i think a venue that has proper um it, it, it treats the room uh acoustically you know in a way that yeah. like considering um the kinds of music and the volume of music that's being performed in the space i think that those are kind of ideal um but mostly it's the people it's, it's like the church you know it's not the building it's the people in it so if people are coming out um you can make any show uh worthwhile if if, if it's uh if it's connecting very true. What was the last album that you listened to from start to finish in one go? Um, I've been writing a lot lately, so I so probably the, the well the last album I listened to who probably um the new Kanye production um which uh just I guess to spoiler to the listener um the the Nas record uh came out recently um at the time of our speaking, which is currently uh, happening at this very second. Um, so I, that was probably the last one I listened to front to back, but also, um, but I've been writing a lot, so I've been listening to uh, uh, Edgar Freeze is his name, and Tangerine Dream. Um, Edgar is a, a member of, well, he's deceased, but he's a member of Tangerine Dream, and it's great for writing. It's very cinematic, and they do a lot of score stuff, so good okay. to just sit and write and get in, get in a mood. Yeah. Now, I'd like to dive into your current band, Islands. How did this band come about, and when did you guys first start performing live? Yeah, uh, well, we came about in 2005 um, on the heels of the unicorns um, imploding. Uh, Jamie, the third member of the unicorns, the drummer, and I um, made a decision that we wanted to keep performing together, keep making music. We felt like there was some momentum with uh, the unicorns and with our own, you know, creative um, partnership and uh, and individual whatever uh, thrust. So we decided to keep going and we put the band together pretty lickety split. Well, we made the record before we put the band together. Um, and it all happened pretty fast, and then we got a re- we got a record deal, and put a band together, and then started doing shows. And that was that year was was the 2005 was the year that, that it all came together. And then our record came out in the spring of 2006, and uh, yeah, and then it changed. Jamie left pretty quickly after the first record came out, and um, and I was kind of carrying the mantle for for the next 10 years. Wow. Now you guys have recorded seven albums with islands, uh, and with the most recent albums being taste and should I remain here at sea, which released in 2016. Also the band's last three albums were released under your personal music label, uh, Monke, uh, music, 
what was right. behind your decision to make uh, a label and then also to self-produce your last three albums? Um, well, our contract was up with our late or last label, Anti. Um, they put out our last, our 2012 record, Asleep and a Forgetting. And um, so we, I spent a little bit of time looking for, I didn't have a manager at that point. I was a little bit, I had some negative experiences with managers in the past. So I was apprehensive. Um, and, uh, but I, but I, I found a manager and then I decided after looking around at the options to do a distribution deal with a <clears throat> large distributor on the East coast. Um, and that was, that was the motivation was just to have more control and more access and, uh, yeah, that was that was an that was an experiment for sure. I don't know yeah. that I would repeat it, but now if you had to choose which album of the seven the band's released has been your favorite, or does your opinion and appreciation for each change over time? Um, I would say it fluctuates. What what <clears throat> which record um, kind of speaks to me the most? I, I spent years kind of distancing myself from from each subsequent release, feeling like it was. See, seeing all the, the the warts and the flaws and the um, <clears throat> problems with the records, um, I've come back. I'm a little more gentle now with, with the past um, past in general, I guess. But uh, I think "Asleep and a Forgetting" the 2012 record is a pretty solid, um, solid sounding and solid um, execution of of a somewhat simple thread that is explored on the album, which is which is. Uh, which is heartbreak and um, just like a breakup kind of thing. So that, that record yeah. feels pretty concise to me. Um, but they all have different sort of attributes, I think. You know, the first record was, was, has, its, has its merits, um, but I found many flaws in that over the years. The second one was me trying to like kind of uh, level up a little bit and maybe, maybe it was, it was a lot, and I, for years I was uh, distanced myself from that record because it felt too um, bombastic. Uh, the last record, the last of the two records, Taste and Should I Remain Here Tea, I think really has something, um, some really like some of my best work on there, no question about it. So um, Taste for me feels like it. it's sort of up there, I think, is one of my records I'm most proud of, I would say, which is good because it was amongst the last releases. So that's a good sign. Yeah. And it's definitely an album that personally, you know, as a fan of the band, that's definitely the one that stands out to me too. One of the songs, Pumpkin is a really tremendous song. I just love the overall sound of it and the, also the sound of the whole album together. I think all the songs really go well together. Thank you. So, but I guess maybe that's a little bit weird because I'm one of the remaining people that still listen to an album completely. I think a lot of people nowadays just listen to playlists, which isn't the worst thing. But at the same time, it's also nice to listen to all the songs, how they were intended to be, you know, played. So, yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully the playlist is the gateway drug for people. If they, if they stumble upon an artist they like, I would hope that they would go deeper and explore that. Yeah. Um, artist or, or their records, um, but you know people people sometimes unfortunately uh, treat music as um, as very much a background thing. So it's oh, what's my mood? Oh, I'm sleeping, so I've got this sleep playlist, or I'm I'm ready to party. <laughs> There's not sometimes it, it's not as um, meaningful I think as I would like as someone who 
have made music in the past. Definitely. Yeah. How would you describe the island's journey from beginning to now, and then also how the band's sound has evolved over the years? Well, there is no now. I mean, I didn't make too big of a public um, display about it, but we we aren't really an active band anymore. We played we played what is what are our ostensibly our final shows in 2016 for the 10th anniversary of our first record. Um, to me, it felt like a nice bow on a decade of making music. Um, I don't currently have anything that I'm dying to express through song, especially songwriting. Um, and maybe that time will come again. I'm not making a big pronouncement because I don't want to, I don't want to be that, guy that um, makes a lot of fanfare about being retired and then comes out and milks the, the retirement. Um, so I don't know. I can't say for sure, but I don't, there's no plans to, to make for me to make any music with islands or, or otherwise. I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I'm sort of tapped out at the moment. I need to, I need to live life a little bit, have some experiences before I have anything new to uh, add to any conversation. Yeah, definitely understandable, too. And, well, I guess that leads in perfectly with what I wanted to close the interview with here, uh, which is discussing your recently released podcast, Critical. Uh, How did the idea for this podcast come about? And can you describe for the listeners what's included in a typical Critical podcast episode? (laughs) Because it's an interesting concept. Well, it's a funny transition to go for me feeling me talking about music being on hold into critical, which is a, which is not a serious, I hate to break the fourth wall, but critical is, is a deeply, um, deeply uh, unserious um, joke that is fun. And it's, it's, it's a way for my friend David and I to make each other laugh. It is a, it is a satire of podcasts. Um, I think most people who listen to podcasts would be familiar with the tone and the um, the rhythms of it, which is a lot of bloviating nothing speak that just kind of circles around an idea for an hour before eventually teasing it into oblivion and never really getting to it. So um, th- there's a lot of fun ways. To, it's it, it's not serious. It's definitely not the the thing I'm doing. Um, as a follow-up to music, it's just, uh, it's a really like a fun kind of adjunct uh, way to to have fun and, and, and explore like a, a comedic side of myself that uh, that I've always had and wanted to express. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, it's really like designed to infuriate the listener, I think, the, the casual <laughs> listener who maybe stumbles upon it. Um, our our stated goal is is to well not stated but our our unstated goal is to drive people um, nuts and to um, make them deeply uh, angry with us. Uh, so it it can it can function on a few <laughs> levels. It's also kind of like an ASMR um, sort of uh, tone that we strike where it's just it's just this monotonous talking. Um, that you feel like is eventually going to lead to something, but it lulls you into this almost hypnotic state. And um, then you realize that you've been listening for 40 minutes and the show hasn't even started yet. (laughs) And uh, you either find that amusing, you find it annoying, or you find it um, calming. 
Hopefully, one yeah. of those three. Hopefully, it's not a fourth option. And you touched about not taking yourself seriously, but at the same time, touching on the satirical you know, nature of it, I love the artwork, first off. This is definitely what piqued my interest was it looks really well done. When you first see it, you're like, oh, yeah, that looks like a nice podcast uh, you know, banner or a podcast cover. That looks nice. But then when you start reading it, you're like, wow, this is kind of ridiculous. But that's that literally describes the whole nature of the show because it says critical, but then underneath it, it says the critical podcast. And then in parentheses or like in a quotation bubble, it says, it's critical like it's it's right. it's so repetitive that it's almost funny in a way right there's there's an idea that there's no content and we are just basically repeating ourselves we're agreeing with ourselves what it essentially is is a review show we, we talk about essential or critical things um and we're critical about them um so the show is like a critical show that you should listen to and it is critical um of of the subjects we talk about, but in actual fact, it's, it's really not. It's, um, it's playful though. It's meant to just be, it's meant to be like a playful satire podcast. And, and mm-hmm. I think people, hopefully people who listen to this show, listen to podcasts uh, outside of this and we'll, we'll be able to appreciate some of the, um, some of the kind of things that we're, we're doing. It, it's, it's meant just to be, be fun and funny. Um, but yes, the, the, the banner art, uh, that's all David. He's, he's a brilliant artist and animator, and he was able to create something that if you're casually looking at it or casually listening, you might not notice that it is, um, in fact, a joke, you know, not a joke. I don't want to diminish it, but there's, there's, there's a narrative that's woven in. I think it's impossible when you do something enough times, you're going to find um, a story will just emerge. So we've, we've definitely, We've definitely uh, th- th- there's something to grab onto there, even though it's it's pretty threadbare. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and it's funny you talk about that it's meant to be fun, and and it is an interesting podcast. But you also pull you pulled an interesting guest, which was Michael Sarah. Now that was right. a really interesting conversation. And again, when you're ta- when we're discussing this on the show here, people are like, "Oh, well, you know, it's a fun project." But at the same time, there are still like interesting conversations on the show, or in this case, an interesting guest because that was a recent episode. In fact, I think that was your guys' last episode as of you know when we're recording this, which is on June twentieth. Yeah, that's the last episode of the of the season. Um, we had Michael on twice. We've had a couple of uh, guests on. Um, I think three over the over the course of the first season, um, and they're people who are friends of ours who are kind of in the same who kind of get the the tone that we were trying to strike, which is very dry, deadpan. Um, it's kind of similar to something that like Reggie Watts does or something, where where he can kind of talk nonsense, and after a while, you just kind of you let it wash over you, and you don't even realize. But really, there's there's no, there's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing there it's an illusion so so you either yeah you either like that and michael's a brilliant comedic person so we, we were just uh lucky to have him um to try to like work with him on that but yeah it's just a light light thing not everything has to be serious and dramatic you know it's definitely a refreshing podcast that I encourage the listeners of this show to definitely check out because it is, like I said, it's refreshing, it's funny, and more often than not, it is, it's still entertaining depending on how you come at the episode. Um, but yeah, so to close the interview, I'd love to know though, is there anything else that you'd like to promote or any upcoming projects uh, that the listeners can look forward to that you're involved with? 
Um, I think the thing I'd really like to promote right now is um, a graphic novel that I've got coming out in September on Fantagraphics called Penguins. Um, it's something I've put a lot of time into over the last year, and I'm really, really proud of it. Uh, it's my first graphic novel. It's out on Fantagraphics, which is my favorite publishing company for, for comics. Um, and yeah, you can get that fantagraphics.com slash penguins. You can pre-order it there. And uh, I would just, I, all I want is for Fantagraphics to be um, happy with me. So the more people that buy it, I think the better that will be. So I just really want to make it, make it, uh, make it work. And I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's one of the, the best uh, things I've, I've done um, creatively. So hopefully, hopefully people check it out. Yeah. And just, you know, out of curiosity, now that we're talking about it, what exactly are you involved with, with that, that graphic novel? Are you doing the artwork as well as writing it or? Uh, both. Yeah. It, it's not, wow. it's not your traditional, it's not your traditional graphic novel. I should stress. Um, it's kind of a deconstruction of graphic novels, I guess. There's no dialogue in any of it. So it's, it's a lot of pictorial um, storytelling, a lot of just drawing uh, in, instead of instead of a lot of text and dialogue, um, sometimes it's really simple and sometimes it's a little more fleshed out. But um, yeah, it's similar to I don't know if any of the listeners w- would notice like if they read a New Yorker or the New York Times um, would see like little illustrations in the margins. Those are called spot illustrations. And yeah. um, if you turn if you turn the pages, you can kind of see that there's a sequence to them. Uh, and they tell a little story. So it's similar. It's kind of was inspired a little bit by some of that, um, by this artist named Richard McGuire, who actually also got his start in music with a band called Liquid Liquid. Oh, wow. Um, he's uh, an incredible, incredible visual artist. And uh, so that was one of, one of the inspirations for the book. Um, so, yeah, it's not your traditional graphic novel. It's not a memoir. It's not... Um, not anything like that, but it's playful. It's it's uh, it's comedic and tragic. And check it out, please. Definitely. Well, a huge thank you to Nick Thorburn for joining me on the show today. Again, you can hear Island's full catalog of music now on Spotify and a selection of their songs on the official Music Revere playlist, also available on Spotify. And as we just touched on, be sure to check out Nick's graphic novel, Penguins, which releases in September. And uh, you can pre-order this? You can. Fanographics.com slash penguins. Or it's on Amazon and everywhere else, but yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely leave a link in the link dump so that listeners can check that out, as well as links to everything else. Well, seriously, Nick, thanks again for being on the show, man. Thanks for having me, Zach. It was my pleasure. Well, that's the end of Episode 5 of the Music Revere Podcast. Please show your support for the Music Revere Podcast by leaving a review on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you happen to listen to the show. Be sure to follow the company's social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Revered Network to get all updates first. Another great way to show your support is by following the Music Revered playlist on Spotify, which allows listeners like you to hear the music discussed by guests on the show. Lastly, my guest for next week will be We Are Scientists frontman Keith Murray. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Music Revered Podcast. Have a great weekend.